0: Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Sensory Corner, a podcast surrounding all conversations, sensory, parenting, and occupation related. My name is Mark, I'll be your host for today, and this podcast is being brought to you guys by Sensomods. Throughout this podcast, I'll be sharing my conversations with various SLPs, OTs, specialists, and even sensory parents within the sensory or special needs realm, in hopes that we can gain a healthier discourse as to what it's like to be a child living with sensory or special needs, trying to learn, grow, and develop. Hopefully by the end of this podcast, we could be able to band together as a community work together, work through problems, but more so be able to come to conclusions which will help our children better integrate into the world around them. Anyways, my name is Mark and this is The Sensory Corner. So for today's topic, we'll actually be talking about what exactly is an SLP. If you don't know what that is or if you're just tuning in, an SLP stands for speech language pathologist. And to help us with this topic, we brought in a special guest and a proud member of the Sense of Minds family. Her name is Elisa Sonnenberg, a.k.a. known as Sunny Day Speech on Instagram. And she's a speech language pathologist from Saskatchewan, and she has quite a few years under her belt. Throughout this podcast, you'll be explaining what exactly an SLP is, what's the jurisdiction, how exactly do they enact their therapy regimens, but more so, we'll be giving you guys, the listeners, some tips on when's the best time to engage an SLP, and possibly, as a parent, how do you best work alongside your SLP to help your child reach their developmental milestones within the speech and language space. Anyways, that's enough for me. Let's just jump right into it. So anyways, I'm not going to explain what what a speech language pathologist is. I'm going to leave that up to you. So if you're going to give like one or two sentences.
1: For sure. So um, as a speech language pathologist, my main goal is to help with communication difficulties with any child. But the main ones that might help kids with with are speech sound disorders, Mm -hmm. um, language delays and disorders. So like a kid is not talking quite um, yet. Um, By speech sound disorders, I'm going to circle back. Um, that's like the sounds that they produce, right? So there's a lot of different kinds of disorders, some of them um, like apraxia speech or articulation disorder or other things. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but those are the yeah. sounds, right? Um, there's so a by lot sounds, you mean like helpful. super
0: simple sounds? Sorry. Yeah, like
1: um so when you're when we're learning to talk, um there is like a sequence of kind of development, right? So um mm-hmm. as kids learn and develop, they get more and more sounds in their system. So like some of those early sounds that you're gonna hear in like early words like mama and dada and nana and like um like the P B M N W Oh my gosh. <laughs> like those are like they kind of go in sequence. And then yes. as a child ages and progresses, then we expect more and more sounds to be in there and there are kind of like you know, like a ballpark of age where we would expect those to come in. So I work with those. The other ones, like we work on fluency or stuttering. And then a big big part of my job the last few years has been working with children who have special needs, children who have autism or any other syndrome, like Down syndrome, like we were just talking about, or um, Prader-Willi or Williams syndrome, like any of those kind of syndromes that are out there. Those are some common ones, but there's a lot of other syndromes that exist out there that we don't hear about as much. But lots of times children... With syndromes, we'll have difficulties with speech and language. Um, we also work on social skills. And myself, I have a background in working in feeding and swallowing disorders. So Interesting. Um, that's something that I kind of, it's like a niche yep. um, that I specialize in.
0: <laughs> so pretty much everything from the head up is what you deal with.
1: Yeah, lots of it is Is pretty much resp- respiratory and up.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. People can't see me. Like the, this is a podcast. yeah, you chest, can't see up. The video. yeah chest up. So, put my yeah. hand up to my neck upwards. That's what she deals with. Just a little side tangent. And this is more so for me. Do you ever deal with children who mix up their P's and their F's, or their V's and their B's?
1: Oh yeah, that's those are common errors. Is right? that common? So,
0: okay. Yeah. So, what age do you need to usually? Uh, you'll 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 realize why I'm asking this. <laughs> At what age do you usually differentiate between those two sounds? Can you articulate the differences between those two sounds or those four sounds actually? Sorry. Yeah.
1: Okay. So like P for F, usually I find that they do that if it's like on a blend, like, so like, for example, in the word spoon, it often comes out like foon. So I would expect that to go away around like four or five years old, right around Oof. there. Same with F and V. F okay. and V are kind of different though. Cause they're, they're just their own little pair, and so we don't tend to work on those very often because they don't, um, like, every sound is in a class. Oh, I'm going to get so boring right now.
0: <laughs> no, it's totally fine.
1: <laughs> so, um, they just don't transfer to other sounds, and lots of times, uh, if there's an F and V, then they'll have problems with, like, like, some of the other sounds that are also called stridents. Like, we're going to get Stridance. really technical if we get into it, so they just yeah. don't transfer to the sound pattern, so.
0: Okay. Yeah. So That's I don't tend to
1: work on those that much. There's like, usually yeah. there's bigger fish to fry, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Okay. Okay. So big, I guess bigger foundational skills or. Yeah. If That was skills. the only
1: where, error. I wouldn't worry about it because it's probably just on one or two words. It might be like an incidental error, we call it. So yeah. Uh, I okay. really it as much.
0: Yeah. Uh, the reason why I ask is because for all the listeners. So I'm Filipino. Yeah. <laughs> We're notorious for mixing up our P's and our F's. And our V's and our B's. <laughs> and even up, I believe it was up until the grade 11 for me. So I'm dating myself a bit. That was when I was able to correct that myself. But I would actually pronounce spoon as spoon. And it was horrible. And people used to make fun of me for it. They, oh, you like, no. it. <laughs> it's a huge oh Filipino goodness. joke. Mixing up. So that's and- like
1: totally different though, because like we work with, um, so there's delays, differences and disorders. Yes, and if you're Filipino and that's part of your accent, that's actually just a difference.
0: Okay. So
1: I wouldn't work on that. Okay, for you. you
0: are there SLP unless you wanted
1: to? Like, obviously, if people are teasing you, that's a different, um, a, like a different situation, right? And as an oh. adult, if you want to correct your stuff, then
0: no, for sure. And see that—that's what I mean, and that's why we're hosting this podcast today. Because I wish I knew what an SLP was, because <laughs> if I didn't. like, if I wasn't able to correct myself, I'd be pronouncing it as SLP literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. We could kind of have
1: some humor in it, right? Sometimes those errors are pretty funny. There are some really good substitutions out there, and we make jokes ourselves. So,
0: okay, <laughs> they're laughing with us, not at us. That's just yeah.
1: <laughs> even myself, like speech language pathologist, is quite a mouthful. So, like, I answer to like Peach. Peach. One of my kids for years just called me peach or the beach therapist. So there's a lot of <laughs> memes out
0: there. <laughs> I love it. Oh my, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Gonna, oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Okay. going back to it. So as an SLP, just to kind of recap what you just said, yeah. you practice on articulation. Um, you work with children on the spectrum or with special needs and trying to work through fluency. Um, is there anything else I'm missing here that w- we yeah. just went on?
1: So the language sorry. part of it is like a big one, right? So the language delay or disorder. So that's kids who are late talkers or kids who have limited vocabulary or limited grammar skills. Maybe they have um trouble um telling a story or answering questions. Those mm-hmm. are some of the main things that I work on a lot with my younger kids. Those are really hard, um, especially for children on the spectrum. Um that can be one of them, especially by answering the questions. I find lots of yes. kids all have echolalics, so sometimes they'll
0: echolalics. Wow, what's the uh, name?
1: the echolalia? Sorry, so okay. like they might be echolalic, so they'll repeat something or they'll learn chunks of language and they kind of learn in the reverse way. So, huh. um, they might re- learn like a phrase instead of learning the individual words, and then we need to kind of fill in those gaps or try to f- turn that echolalia into functional language, right? Because echolalia can be functional
0: that's really interesting you, yeah because i was I remember talking to another ot and it's not so much sentence structure but it was more so being able to figure out, for an ot at least yeah. uh, from my last conversation is figuring out okay we work on the children to be able to identify what's this letter in this word what's the letter after it what's the letter after it okay this combination of letters what does that say okay now can you tell me what that combination of letters is so is this a c is this an a is this an t So it's weird hearing that echolalia aspect where a child is now learning in reverse. Uh, How many times does that come up within your practice?
1: Uh, For echolalia, I would say it's really common, especially with children on the spectrum. Yep.
0: Do you know why that that pops up?
1: Echolalia is really common just because there isn't a switch. So lots of times our little kids Mm -hmm. um, will start that and we're not concerned when we say fish and the little kid says fish back to us, right? But mm-hmm. if we're s- repeating like larger sentences or phrases um, over and over again past like really toddlerhood, then that's okay. when we start to call it echolalia and we're more concerned about it because usually there's a switch. So once kids have a certain number of words in the vocabulary, mm-hmm. then we expect them to start combining unique sentences. Yes. And that's kind of where we see them get, um, some kids get stuck, especially kids on the spectrum.
0: Okay. That, wow. I think that that's a better person,
1: explanation. Yeah.
0: If you really think about it, the whole speech area in general, there, there's so many things you need to keep, keep in mind, uh, mm-hmm. so many things you need to develop. And I, I guess even for me, somebody of whom is speaking right now to you guys on this podcast and to Elisa, saying, yes. see, I said your name correctly. Yeah, you did. <laughs> That's been the first time this month. I'm going <laughs> to give myself like a brownie every time I get it right.
1: <laughs> it's a hard one.
0: <laughs> I, th- I thought it was Elisa. Um, the, the reason why I bring this up is because w- we are don't, I'm not conscious of the amount of things I'm taking into account when I'm constructing a sentence, when I'm speaking to somebody and mm-hmm. how I'm interpreting all that information back to me. So my question to you is, is how exactly do you deliver, you know, the, this, the curriculum or the, how do you read, hit all these milestones and how do you organize it in such a way where you're able to build up those foundational skills to articulate and speak and really communicate effectively to other individuals? Yeah.
1: No, that's good. For me, it always starts with that assessment. So a play-based assessment or approach um, for some children, lots of times it incorporates some kind of standardized assessment. So a standardized assessment is when I use like a test and sometimes it's a parent interview. Sometimes it is like a physical test where we actually flip through and like kind of figure out those skills. And it is normed against the population. So like if you've ever seen like your familiar bell curve, We know that about 68% of the population is in that middle chunk of the bell curve, and if a skill is below that, that's when we know that we need to target it, right? And then we pick goals, like there, it's, you know, like speech language pathology is a science, but in other ways, it is a bit of an art too, because... Um, we're going to pick things that are the most functional or that the parents are most concerned about or that we think would serve the child. Like there are some individualized um, and professional judgment pieces that come in to pick a goal for a child.
0: Yeah. And that kind of goes back to our little tangent about the whole P's and F's and Vs and B's. You, you yeah. said those aren't things you're going to focus in on because they're not necessarily foundational to other things which would benefit the child's communication absolutely correct. right okay. so like we
1: have developmental milestones and we know those milestones and then we can kind of compare them and like okay what are we missing what do we need and okay. you know you're not going to pick something like advanced vocabulary or synonyms or something like that when they don't have like back and forth or like you know like they're using two word sentences right or two or, yes. two or three words so mm-hmm. you got to start where the child is lots of times i'll start with the language part and i'll grow their language before i work on speech like those kind of things are important.
0: wow Okay. I, I love your pragmatic approach, being able to break down what a child's needs are and more so where they're at so that you can build up the foundation in such a way where it's feasible and realistic for that child. And you're also able to work alongside with them and are able to keep up. That, that's amazing. You know, yeah. just hearing that, it, it puts me at ease because I was like, there's so many things you need to keep in mind
1: yeah. when trying
0: to deal with various children on the spectrum or with developmental or speech delays. And so. We tried
1: a couple goals, right? Like we don't want to yes. overwhelm anybody or the child. Like you can't work on everything at once. So we're going to pick like the big, you know, like three often, like mm-hmm. what are the big three goals that I want to work on right now? And mm-hmm. then hopefully we make it in a manageable chunk enough and set like a, like, you know, a short-term goal to yes. eventually reach those long-term goals.
0: Okay. That, that makes sense. So uh, something I hear a lot uh, within the center of special needs realm is being able to create age-appropriate delivery models or way or frameworks to be able to meet the child where they're at. So, how exactly mm-hmm. does that apply within the special uh, speech-language pathology realm? Um,
1: everything that I do, like I, a, a carpet is a requirement in any room that I pretty much work in because. So we know that play is a child's work and everything that I do is, I try to do play-based therapy and I have a carpet in my room. We have fun toys. We have everything that I have chosen is with a purpose, right? So mm-hmm. um, I'm not just playing with them. Sometimes it can look like a lot, like I'm just playing with them, but I always have that goal and I'm trying to coach the child and whoever's with them. If I have a parent there, if I have an educational assistant or a teacher there, I'm kind of trying to explain that. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll take a video clip if, like, I'm in the school setting, right, so I can send that on Seesaw and I'll kind of describe some of the things. Lots of times I'll do that clip at the end of the session, so then I've kind of already made the progress and I can kind of catch it and show the parents what I'm talking about, so that's just important to me.
0: Okay, and just to clarify, Seesaw is a little program you use to be able to give the report off to the parents digitally, right?
1: Yeah, it's an app actually. So, a lot of our um, school divisions in Saskatchewan are using it. There's other platforms like it. Um, Some people use like Class Dojo, I know. There's a few other ones. Seesaw is like one of the main players, I would say. And I can send like videos, notes, homework. Um, I can private message a parent. It's kind of like Facebook. So, every time I see a child, I try to send a post. It doesn't always (laughs) happen that way. Sometimes, um, like, I like to do a lot of things um, thematically. So then, what we're doing is kind of relevant to the year or like what's going on. So Um, like, you know, like it's spring. So we might be talking about springtime or Easter or, you know, like baby animals being born and we might do my farm unit now. Right. Like that kind of stuff. mm -hmm. We might be doing puddles or frogs, you know, like kind (laughs) of (laughs) fun things and then trying to incorporate that into the sessions.
0: Always keeping it relevant to the parent and also to the child so that everybody's able to what's the difference between private practice SLPs and school SLPs? Like, is that how you segment the two? How how does that space look like?
1: Yeah. So in, like in my, I'm in the school system. Um, Lots of times children will have hit the early intervention or the health system first. So that's who sees pretty much birth till five um, unless they're at a pre-K, right? So like I have yes. a pre-K program. So when they're three and they qualify for pre-K and they have been chosen and selected, then I take over their care. Okay. Um, and then private practice, it can be any age for any, any child, right? Got
0: gotcha. you. Okay.
1: So um, our skills are the same. SLPs have the same skills regardless of the setting. Personally, like I've been an SLP for 11 years now. Wow, um, and I have my bachelor's in communication disorders, and then I have a master's in speech language pathology. So that requirements um, most for the most part they're the same. Some people do a little different route. Some people have a different bachelor's degree than I would have, mm-hmm. but we all have the same degree and qualifications at the end.
0: Okay, you you mentioned though. I remember at, at the beginning of the the podcast, you stated that you also specialize in feeding and drinking. Uh, this is for all the people listening into this podcast. If you ever go on Instagram, you type in OTs or SLPs, you'll see some people with a bunch of different like letters in their bio. So it's like, I think it's like OTR slash L SLP or CCC dash SLP. And then a bunch of other letters, like the whole other alphabet. What exactly is that? Are those different credentials for you guys where you're specialized in training? Like, what is that?
1: So like, For myself, I am a CCC SLP, and that means that I have been ASHA certified, and ASHA is the American Speech and Hearing Association. So I went to school in the States. Um, Some people in Canada are certified by SAC. SAC. It's kind of like similar. It's just the Canadian Association. So I have that CCC SLP. It just means that I'm certified and that I've met all the requirements for that national certification. Um, it's not required for every place, like in Saskatchewan, you don't need that. You just have to meet the requirements for SAS Lepaw for Saskatchewan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, some people might have specialized training, like there are different courses. So like you mentioned the feeding, so like a yeah. lot of that coursework has been done since I've graduated. So as an SLP, I am required to do a certain amount of professional development and feeding was just one of my you know, personal loves. I did a external um, practicum um, with a private therapy company in Fargo, North Dakota. So when we were living down in Fargo, I'm now in Canada, but I did go to school in the States and I married an American boy. So (laughs) I did live in the States for a while and I got the joy of working with a In a private setting, right? So that was just totally different than what I do now. I went into people's homes. I worked with a lot of preemies and medically fragile children with a variety of syndromes and disorders and delays, Mm -hmm. right? So that was just a different experience than what I do now, but it was good because I got a lot of perspective. Mm -hmm. Um after I got that experience, then I got that certification. So I um do have like my basic SOS training, which is a feeding program,
0: for example. Yeah. Interesting. So kind of going back to your time in the States, were you co-treating with other OTs and other specialists and therapists within the field?
1: So I got to do a few different practicums, like we had a clinic, and then I got to go to a a school in Minot, North Dakota. And so that was a really cool experience. And um, then I worked in a private therapy setting. And yeah, all those placements, I always worked with other professionals. It was a really important part of the job. Um, some places I got to co-trade even, like in the schools, and I still get to do that now with like the OT or the yes. educational psychologist, or there's always teachers and special ed teachers and yeah. EAs. It's like there's a lot of working parts. and
0: Very big team. Very, very big team yes. of individuals supporting the children. Yeah. So with all that said and done then, with all these different specializations or certifications out there, how exactly do they best support their child, especially when trying to look for an SLP? do the certifications matter? Um, because um, you did say that they're all like made equal, but then some people might have more certifications than others. For Ooh, sure. But, yeah.
1: Um, so like depending where you are, you might have a choice and you might not. So if you're going through health or you're going through the school system, lots of times you just have an SLP that is assigned to you, right? So yeah. you might not have as much choice um, and hopefully they would specialize to their population that they're working with, right? Like if okay. I'm in working in the schools, yeah. most of the professional development that I have done has been to- directed towards my caseload. So I learned of a course. lot about autism and language disorders and school-age children and phonological awareness and literacy is a big part of my job too. I help support that because we know mm-hmm. that language is the foundation of literacy and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, when you are picking on your own, if you decide to go the private therapy route, those are great yes. questions to ask, right? Like you want to know, um, are you comfortable working with a child who has autism? Um, what do you specialize oh. in? What kind of therapy do you do? Especially when we're in the world of autism, there's a big range of therapies. Mm-hmm. And some of them are very behavioral based. Some of are very plain social based, like, so depending what you want to do, doing your research can be helpful in asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And maybe you do want to talk to a couple different SLPs if you have an option and a choice.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that, that's a lot to think, but I feel like that would be a separate podcast or episode on its own, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Just figuring out like which services does your child need? Uh, mm-hmm. Do they need consulting services? Do you need an OT co-training on SLP? There, there's so many things to consider here. So for, yeah. I, I guess to kind of wrap that aspect up then for a parent, like what would your tip be uh, with respect to a parent looking or shopping around, quote unquote, for a private practice SLP? Like what are the bare things of which they should be asking at least to at least know that their child's in good hands? Every every SLP is good. I'm going to say that, but you, you get what I mean, right? Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. so. I would start with the registry, right? And just seeing, like, I know if you go on like SAS website, it'll often have your special areas of interest listed. Okay. Um, Interesting. When I was on the private registry, I could say like, I specialize in feeding disorders or language disorders or delays, right? So like just that alone will give you a good starting place. Okay. Um, if you're a parent, like talking to other people that may have a child already in private therapy and getting that kind of a referral and finding out like, oh, like, um, is this a good fit for your child? Are you happy with services? Those kind of questions can be really helpful, right? Like a good parent referral. You can ask us at the school. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. Okay. Um, just depending on like the area that you're in. Yeah. Um, like I'm in a re- relatively rural area, so I might be able to make a better recommendation than somebody in a larger city where there's, you know, 50 different SLPs. We're not going to know everybody, but of course there might be a good idea where, um, who might be a good fit for you.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess, okay. For a parent of whom can't necessarily communicate what their child's complex needs are, uh, mm-hmm. If they don't know what the needs are, it's very hard for them to figure out like which sector or area they need to be focusing in yeah. on. What's your take on that? How how exactly would you help advise parents going through that process of I don't necessarily know where my child is at either with my with his language, with his articulation. I I don't really know.
1: I think that's where yeah. the assessment part really comes into play, and oh, okay, I have a lot of trust in SLPs in general. Yeah. And so we are the specialist, right? So I think that yes. just getting to that first initial assessment and appointment is a really key piece of mm-hmm. the
0: puzzle. Okay. And so then you can get an initial assessment or like a trial yeah. period
1: almost. Oh, absolutely. And wow. like lots of, like for me, I'm able to do that at the school level quite easily if I have a concern. I usually do a screener, right? So there is an initial a screener screening process, right? Okay. So I didn't mention yeah. that. Um, so lots of times that we'll have the kid come in, we'll do a screener and then I'll kind of see, I'll get a snapshot and it is a snapshot, but lots of times I can tell a lot from a snapshot. Um, mm-hmm. oh, and wow. the main question is, do I need to do further assessment? Sometimes I have, and I've, ha- I've had that privately. Um, I had, I remember like a mom who was really, really concerned about her little girl, she brought her in and she was just sweet as could be, was meeting all of her milestones. She didn't have a few of her speech sounds, but those weren't typically developing. They were they were typically developing errors, pardon me. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't really anything to be concerned about in that case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but lots of times I would tell parents to go with your gut. If you know that your child's not talking and they're not doing um, the things that maybe your other children did or other children that you know and you've seen, I mm-hmm. think just that initial assessment would give you either peace of mind or reassurance that you're not wrong and a speech language pathologist is the best person to do that assessment so I have had um and seen doctors say oh just wait and see wait and see um but we know and our research has shown that wait and see is not always the best approach it's better to go for that initial assessment because early intervention is so key in what we do.
0: Definitely. So it's it's pretty much no different than going to the doctor for something. Then
1: yeah, well, we're like you know yeah, the it's, speech, it's, <laughs> the speech yeah, part of that. But, we're not doctors. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, some of us are, but <laughs> <Yeah>. not me. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it, it's just the whole idea that if you're unsure about something, there there's no harm in getting that referral or making that first step. You know, if you're yeah. unsure about something, you know, health wise, you go to a doctor yeah. and see is there something yeah. wrong with me? No, you're good. Cool. You gave yeah. yourself peace of mind. But or like, I,
1: oh, you know, like maybe you need a checkup, right? Like sometimes it will be like, oh, right now I think that they're doing good, or maybe I'll give you a little bit of like some tips or some information and come back and see me in six months, right? Sometimes yes. it will be that, but just that little bit of information might be enough to set off that next boost and boost your child to where they need to be.
0: Definitely. And early intervention, well, at least from what I've heard, but I want to get your opinion on it. It's so, so important. And the earlier you're able to catch children within with respect to their speech delays or developmental delays, whatever it may be, the better it is for them. Uh, moving oh, absolutely. Forward, yeah. Um, okay.
1: I know, that birth to five is really critical, and some um, researchers have even said birth to three. So, really, yeah, like it's just a really, really large. Um, brain development activity, language development time, right? Like mm-hmm. we literally have these things called language explosions and it will feel like that, right? Like with my own two boys, I have um, a son who's eight and a son who's four and yes. um, my oldest son wasn't meeting his, you know, bare minimum milestones at 18 months. And so I was really concerned and mad. like we did every strategy and it was nice that I knew what to do as an SLP, but if I wouldn't have, I probably would have taken him to an SLP to see what to do to help him out.
0: At 18 months, wow! See, and I I can already say for a bunch of parents out there, like that seems super super early for a bunch of them. And yeah, wow! But if they're not
1: talking at all, like, and he was using a few words, but he wasn't yeah. um, meeting his milestone. Um, like we wanted him to. They say about 50 words at 18 months. That seems high um, mm-hmm. for a little boy who's really busy. Looking back on that, like you know, like 25 words would have been. Okay, too, but he was really only saying a few words at that time. So uh, gotcha. we did a lot of strategies to get him to talk more, and it did help.
0: And he did just explode. That, that's amazing. I love that. Yes. And see, like, I didn't even know that. I didn't know about the language explosions, but it does seem like these children just speak out of nowhere. And you're like, where did this come from? Almost.
1: They're little sponges. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're from zero to five. Yeah. Well, it, and there's still a lot of learning that happens after that. That's of just course. kind of like a really critical time that we know yeah. if there is no stimulation, that yeah. things can't always recover. Right. So
0: definitely. So kind of recap that for everybody in the podcast or listening to the podcast, just know that SLPs know what they're doing. They'll yeah. Break down. They'll break down every single developmental milestone. They'll de- break down every single problem or issue there is. And your, your child's in good hands, just make sure you get them to them within that timeframe, just so they're not falling through the cracks almost. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, we wanna do everything that we can to support your child.
0: Definitely.
1: And be a good support for the family too, right? And like, there's lots yeah. of suggestions and little ideas that I can give parents to help them with those.
0: But that goes such a long way, like the little mm-hmm. things that which a parent can do just because a professional is being able to advise them. It, it's so important. It's so, so important. But that kind of brings me back to the topic at hand. So what exactly does an SLP do? You you mentioned there's a lot of other players who come into come into the mix, come into play. With respect yeah. to a child's development. So, what, what are the other professionals you usually work with within the space when trying to help you know a child reach their developmental or language milestones?
1: Okay, so my very most important team member is the parent in yeah. the family.
0: Okay, oh, and wow. I can't
1: say that enough <laughs> because we, as a team, we're only going to spend limited time with your yes. child. So you are their number one um, helper, and sometimes it's knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. not and and like seeing how to do it from somebody else that can spark that in you so I want parents out there to know you are enough you can do this you might just need a few tips from us right so but that said (laughs) there are a lot of people and sometimes like you can walk into a room and it is a little overwhelming but some of the people that you might work with are speech language pathologists like myself occupational Mm -hmm. therapists physical therapists lots of times if a child's delayed, they'll be delayed in multiple areas. So um, those are kind of like the big three in the therapy world. Um, We work with teachers, we work with daycare providers. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes we'll work with like a early um, childhood psychologist. And sometimes we'll, once the child ages up, like I work very closely with an educational psychologist. So we do a lot of assessment together, and that's just a really good way to get a holistic view of a child. Um, I work with the autism specialists um, in our area a lot. There's a lot of communication back and forth between us, which is a great relationship to have. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll refer to an audiologist. Wow. Um, we'll work with dieticians, social workers. Literally everybody. Therapists. Like There's just so many people, and then obviously doctors and sometimes even dentists. So...
0: I can see that. That's just yeah.
1: a few, and that's a lot, but there are <laughs> just a lot a few. <laughs> of working <parts>. Yeah, <laughs> I know.
0: I probably she left moved. somebody
1: off that list. Don't be mad at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, wow, that's, I, you know, it seems overwhelming, at least to people listening to the podcast. But to me, that's yeah. very comforting to hear. The yeah. fact that you're working alongside so many other individuals to ensure that every single box is being checked off. Like you said, mm-hmm. like, the main ones are, yes, OTs, yourself, and SLP and PTs, but the parents, I, I I love that aspect, the fact that you really consider the parent a team member. I was just having a conversation with an OT, and I know they're not an SLP, but it's kind of looping that conversation into, into the mix. They were saying yeah. that, yes, like they cover a lot of ground within their 30 to 45 minute sessions. That's great. Yeah. But what happens between that session and then a week and a half later when they have their next session, what happens between that point in time? You really think about the relativity of how much practice could have been not packed in but could have been practiced within that time period, it really is crucial so that the child doesn't miss out on that progress going into their next appointment or their next uh, meeting with you, I guess. I, I don't know how you how you call them. Appointments, meetings, that, that sounds way too formal. For
1: yeah, talk. that was really formal. <laughs> Session. I don't Sessions.
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking to a five year old, you're here for your next move.
1: You're here for your meeting. Come down yeah. to my office. <laughs> Actually it's kind of funny because I will say like let's go to my office and I've tried to switch that to my room because like it being in a school, going to the office they think they're in trouble. So oh, no <laughs>
0: they start sweating yeah oh no I'm in trouble now oh no it's just it's just Lisa it's fine yeah
1: no oh the toy lady is here oh never mind yeah and like when they go in there they're like oh never mind because I have two carpets and two chairs and a coffee table and I try to make it seem like home and Mm -hmm. I have all the fun toys and they're kind of out of reach so then they have to ask for them Mm -hmm. that's one of my strategies
0: I love that, though, because you're getting on their level. You're making them feel comfortable, and you're working alongside with them instead of being like, sit at a table, do these worksheets, go. That's not how it
1: works. And you know, back in the day, like, I'm not going to knock that. Sometimes there is a time and a place for that, and some people do therapy like that. That's just not my style. I like to do everything interactive and through play and learning, right? So,
0: of, Of course. And that's the best way learning is best absorbed. Even though between that zero to five window where children are sponges, you still need to provide the curriculum or whatever you're trying to teach them in an engaging and interactive way. So I really appreciate the fact that you said that, uh, if I'm going to sub-quote you on this, play is a way, is a child's way of learning. Like that's their way of interacting with the world. Yeah, it's their work. That's their job. And looking back on that, like now I really want to become a kid again. I wish I could (laughs) just play as work. That would be fun. (laughs) That is nothing thing
1: like i I make it fun, so then they don't know it's like kind of tricky, right, like they don't know that we're actually working on something like it's, it's very functional, right so no, and it, it, going back to the parents, right, like we can build language into everyday life, right like it doesn't have to be sit on the floor. Yes. it can be like me going to the grocery store and shopping and talking about what I'm seeing or like you know talking up my day with chores. We're all stuck in the house right now, so, like, I have (laughs) a lot of ideas right now that I'm, like, working on right now. It's like, oh, what's a functional thing that we can work on with Mm -hmm. kids through what we're doing at home on our day-to-day basis?
0: Of course. Wow, that's (laughs) – it really does change the game. Obviously, that's a separate conversation, but the fact that – all, all these OTs, SOPs, specialists, and even parents. Yes, especially yeah. parents being stuck at home. I'm, I'm going on Instagram and every social media platform. The ideas you guys come up with to be able to keep children engaged while still helping develop certain milestones or certain areas of their learning. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to see what you guys come up with. Uh, just recently, I, I forgot, I forgot who posted this. They put letters. On a wall, they taped letters or like sounds, these tape sounds. So P-H and all these different sounds. And they got their kid to have a Nerf gun. Ah. And then, yeah, and then they would say the sound. And then can you match up that sound with the letter? And can you aim it? and then shoot the letter or whatever. Oh, Obviously, yeah. there's a bunch of implications between shooting a Nerf gun and if you do <laughs> it or not. Like, <laughs> yeah, can't really
1: do that at schools, but we yeah. can do that at home, right? And yeah. like, that's where you can tailor it to the individual child, like what's going to be motivating. We've taken mm-hmm. bean bags and hucked them at things too. Or we have ball <laughs> poppers. That's our other favorite, like those animal ball poppers that have like the soft balls. Oh my God, yeah, and I love we'll shoot, those guys. Sometimes we'll set up the word cards and we'll shoot them all down, right? Like Those are kind of easy, fun things that we can do
0: but see like it doesn't learning doesn't have to be boring Um, no it
1: really doesn't it can be a lot of fun and that's what keeps it fun for me because I would go insane if I just had to you know drill articulation like after 11 years you don't want to sit there and do a drill and practice anymore that is so boring but if we can incorporate the play in the activities like I'm a toyaholic and I need all the new toys and (laughs) fun things. not that you need those but it does make it a little bit more fun for me as an adult not gonna lie
0: Definitely. Yeah. It's always nice to see new things in your toy box and your little, uh, we call it a toolbox. It's not a toy box. It's a toolbox. (laughs) It's our tools, which we use for learning. And that's a really nice lead and a nice segue into the fact that with parents they're, they're always, as you said, they're your biggest teammate, like you need their mind more so than ever. And I think something which I'd like to say, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but because play is a child's way of working, that's their way of exploring and interacting with the world. Yes, it might seem like SLPs and OTs play with children, and that's all they do. But that's literally not what it is. They, you know, there's so much more behind it, where you're trying to reach a certain milestone, you're trying to teach something to that child, but not you know, raise any alarms in their head and be like, oh, this is boring. This is just a lesson. No, you're trying to get them to learn something in a fun and engaging way, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you're yeah. spot on with that.
0: Okay. So for this is more so for the parents then. So how, how would you advise them to navigate the services of an SLP? How can you get them to better understand what you do so that they themselves can convince themselves? that was a huge mouthful of that buy-in. Okay.
1: Um, So I do have a few tips for parents. I don't know if this yep. is exactly what you wanted, but the the like first thing that I would do, if you have a child that is going to be involved in services and like, you have to get them to that initial assessment. But once yep. you know that there is a diagnosis in place and that you have a plan that you're working towards, um, the first tip I have is to keep a binder for your child. So keep all their health info in there. Mm -hmm. um like get a copy of all the reports because sometimes there are so many and we'll you know we want to make sure we have all that document history in place yes um so you want the doctor cards appointment letters all that kind of health info all in one place and I have seen a couple parents with the binder and it is so helpful as an SLP um bring that to your first appointment even or Um, when you're starting at a new school right like so if you've been in health and you're going to the school bring that in and just let them copy it if you feel comfortable doing that right so that would be great um one thing I have seen a couple parents do is that they'll write out the history of their child Wow. which I love and it doesn't have to be like a long like even just a page written about your pregnancy was how was the delivery how did they meet their milestones how did you know that you thought that something might be a concern right Uh and keeping all those kind of things and then you can put the other things the therapies that they've been in the diet or their medical information or the medicine that they're taking Mm -hmm. Um, but then I want that other stuff in there too I want to know what are they interested in what am I going to have buy-in with them for right so like
0: that's so important
1: yeah. Like, I want to know what do they like? Because that first time, like if I bring out something and they hate it, like for example, Play-Doh. Play-Doh is something I will never bring out in a first session because some kids really have aversions to it, right?
0: Oh, so like the sensory okay. things yeah. kind
1: of come into play, like, and it's like, oh, if your kid hates Play-Doh, let me know. Or if they don't like something, that's almost as important as if they do like something, right? Like if I bring yeah. out the water beads or the sand um table or like a sensory bin and they don't like that, then I need to know, right?
0: Of course. That uh, wow. I didn't know the pregnancy and delivery also mattered.
1: So pregnancy and delivery are really important. And sometimes like I I always do a a thorough kind of case history whenever I see a new child. And lots of times I will see that there are some like sometimes there is some trauma in pregnancy or delivery um, and that can later impact children, right? Like maybe they had wow. the hair on their neck or There was meconium and, um, you know, like I've had other like concerns, like maybe it was just a really, really hard pregnancy and there was something with mom, maybe they were premature, right? Like those kind of things really do play in later in life too. Wow.
0: Uh, See, but obviously a parent would be able to communicate that because- no one's more vigilant than a parent with their own child and I I think it goes back to what you were saying honestly they are enough you like parents listening to this you guys are enough yeah you guys know exactly what your child needs you guys know what they've been through just communicate it and then obviously the SLP will take care of the rest I don't know if that's a lot to put on you
1: (laughs) well they're the experts on their child that's what I like to say like you are the expert on your child you know them best and so Mm -hmm. if I'm doing something too, like Tell, like tell me if there's something that you think would be better or it's not working or you're having behavior or like they're dreading coming because mm-hmm. something that I'm doing, I want to know that too.
0: Yeah. I, I um, love how you make that effort to understand them. But yeah. What are the tips you have for a parent to understand an SLP? You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> keeping those lines of communication are so important. Like yeah. just keeping that line of communication open. If you don't understand something that I'm saying or the terminology, like we get into this jargon, like the first part of our podcast, (laughs) I'm like, oh no, we're going to get deep into it. (laughs) And I I understand like, this is the world that I live in, but it's not the parents' world. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been at meetings where I've said like standardized assessment or start talking about a bell curve and parents, like I can see their eyes and I have visuals there. That's something that I've learned myself being an SLP after 11 years. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop. And I'm actually going to tell you why we're doing this, why we're using assessments, why we do this. And I have a handout that I give them too, that says everything. So then it's a lot sometimes when we're in a meeting setting mm-hmm. and they can go back and I say, you know, here's a handout. Here's what we talked about. Call me, go home, read this all, see if it makes sense. And then call me and we can have a conversation. That first wow. meeting is really just the starting off point yeah. for the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the screener and the assessment are sh- should be, but sometimes in the school system, I don't see them until we have the meeting, right? So, yeah. that's just something that we can do. Um, the meetings, if large meeting meetings make you anxious, let us know. We can
0: large dial meetings that at back.
1: You like know, if we team? need to dial it back, if it's too many people there and you get ah, anxious okay. and you're a shy person or you're feeling a little self-conscious like that is totally fine. We can make those adjustments. Um, And sometimes Mm -hmm. there are people like, you know, core people that need to be there. But you know, like if, if you're okay with it, we could go through it one-on-one and then go over it with the team. We can have two meetings, right? Like there is that kind of allowance too. If it's too much for you, Mm -hmm. I always want the parents to be comfortable because if you're not comfortable, then you're not going to ask the questions. Exactly. Right.
0: And that doesn't benefit the child whatsoever. No. No.
1: Yeah. And if you're struggling, let us know, right? Like that okay. is a big part. Um. And you and I were kind of talking about the village part of this, right?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So I'm uh, like, you said it better actually than I did. I, you should say what you
0: no. said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, hopefully I don't botch this up. So the, the quote is, is, it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a child with special needs to raise the consciousness of the village. I don't know who said that. Um, um, yeah, I can't find who said that quote, but that, that's basically where this whole podcast kind of stemmed from.
1: And so like we were talking that sometimes that village, it's quite small for children who, um, for parents of children with special needs. Yes. Um, even family members can't aren't, aren't always understanding, like especially with the increases in autism rates, like my own parents who are in <laughs> their late 50s, early 60s, they they ask me all the time what is autism what is that right like wow um we're just starting to see it a lot more and they don't always understand or like some of the things that we're our medical system is getting so good that we're keeping babies alive and that's great but then sometimes some of our babies they do have challenges that come with um come with that so Mm -hmm. It's something that if you're struggling, like let us know and we are your safe space. We're never going to judge. We are there for you and for your child. And -hmm. you know what? Sometimes we actually know like, is there a support group? Are there other parents that we could connect you with? Even like a Facebook group can be really helpful for parents.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's such a big topic, especially amongst parents because I remember having a conversation. I can't get too deep into the details, but it was a conversation with a parent and they were just saying that, You know, especially when you figure out that your child may have a delay or an issue or um, some type of sensory or special needs, a whole slew of emotions kind of come in. And when all those emotions are hitting you one after another, just in complete succession within the span of a month, two months after you find out, it's just a lot. And it's very easy for parents to get caught up in their own bubble and not really reach out or talk to anybody about it. And then you become very, very isolated and it, this yeah. problem. Like it's not even a problem, but obviously that anxiety does weigh heavy on some a parent's chest. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad that there are support groups of Facebook groups or more so just yeah. like you guys, the, the SLPs, the OTs, yeah. teams of whom are there to create that safe space for the parent. I, I love that. Like props yeah. to you guys.
1: <laughs> and like parents, like you don't have to feel guilty. Like there is sometimes a bit of a grief mm-hmm. cycle, right? Like I've I've met several parents and they're in really good places or several parents that are struggling. Um, like we were saying, like it's like yeah, like this has been like a little bit of a harder year. And for that, for me at my job personally, talking mm-hmm. to parents and it's just, it's just hard if they don't have that good support system. Yeah. Um, to feel like they're doing the right thing or knowing what to do or like even having somebody else to talk to, mm-hmm. another parent can be really helpful.
0: Definitely. And that that's a very big one obviously i'm not going to get into deep into that tangent yeah. of uh, am i enough am i doing enough yeah. but uh, i'd like to say to all the parents that yeah you are like honestly like yeah. you're doing your best that's all that anybody can really ask for and i don't know that seems like a uh an, i don't even know like a cop out but it really isn't just because i feel yeah. i feel parents are way too hard on themselves especially within the space especially if your child has sensory or special needs
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah and I don't think that's communicated enough within the, the community. It's always just resources. Yeah. Like do this with your yeah. child, do this at home, do this. And it's like, yeah. oh, like there's so many things I need to do. If I don't do them, am I being a bad parent? Yeah. That's something I heard. I was like, absolutely not. That's, no. <laughs> that's ridiculous.
1: No. Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like if you're having a hard time, like let us know. Like if yeah. our homework or our expectations aren't reasonable or it's not happening, let us know. Mm-hmm. I'd rather know that. And then maybe I can make it more functional or change up what I'm doing. To better support mm-hmm. that parent or Definitely. if they just need a little break mm-hmm. but like you know we have a lot going on abc like yeah. these are the things that we're struggling with mm-hmm. right now i was like yeah like you got to kind of do airway breathing circulation yeah. <laughs> <But> in, <laughs> honestly like no. if you're not sleeping and you're not taking care of yourself then you're not going to be able to do all these extra things right so it's like you have to self-care and um if you have no respite like that can be really hard too
0: Exactly. That, that's where they bring that up. That was a topic which was brought up in our last podcast with Becky B. She was saying that if your glass isn't half full or isn't even full at all, like there's no liquid in it, how can you fill up somebody else's glass? And yeah. She was just talking about, you know, the parent to child relationship and ensuring that your glass is, you know, sufficiently full so that you can be there for your child. <laughs> and I love the fact that you you provide a lot of insight and support for parents to show that you're there for them because that's so, so important. But what are some tips you have for parents to show that they're for there for you? Because obviously, it kind of goes back to that whole quote of the village. Obviously, a village isn't just one-sided. Everybody has to do their part to be able to uplift everyone in order to support that child. So mm-hmm. what, what are some tips you have to support those children and more so for parents to support you and what you do?
1: Yeah, so of course, like every relationship, it is a two-way street. So reaching out and keeping those lines of communication open Um, when you're at a session being present, right. So like putting your phone down and like Mm. engaging, like I want you to be involved in the session too. Yes. Um, that's like a great starting point. Trying to be flexible if you can. Sometimes like we do have those big team meetings and sometimes that can be really hard to get everybody scheduled. If you're okay with the big meeting, we want everybody there sometimes. So of course, if you can be flexible for a meeting that can go a long way. (laughs) just because then everybody's hears the same information. And then sometimes like one professional spark an idea in another professional, and it can just be really good for your child. Right. So. Wow.
0: Yeah.
1: That is something that can be really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. You're your child's best advocate. Um, Yes. Any parent that reaches out, if I have buy-in from a parent, then like, I am, I'm always going to do the best for my kids that I can. But being in Canada, we are stretched thin. So if I have a parent that has buy-in and they're asking mm-hmm. for more, um, they are going to probably get a little bit more, maybe than they would if they were not worried about it, right? Because of I course. know that they're interested in asking for extra help. Um, then i i will I will do everything I can to support a parent if they're concerned, right? So
0: mm-hmm. that's it's you. You brought up a really cool point. Sorry for interjecting here. Uh, Ensuring that they're present, you know, they're they're attentive, they're actively engaging within your sessions. Um, I've talked to various parents, and obviously, you know, attest to this because you yourself are a parent. You have two boys. Uh, Yeah, I have two boys. Two boys, yeah. It's always nice. (laughs) We're not all wild. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's always nice to get the perspective of an SLP or an OT who is also a parent just because Mm -hmm. you you get that perspective of being a parent and how busy it can be. Like, so, you know, bless your soul. Just like a little interjection there. Like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you're able to be a parent while also really trying to be there for your clients or your, you know, the children within your sessions. That's so, so impressive. And it's extremely amazing. And, you know, shout out to all the strong women out there. (laughs) (laughs) so funny. Um,
1: I think being a parent really changed my perspective. Um, Mm -hmm it changed a lot of my practices and like just yeah. that communication piece with parents. Yes. Once I had a child of my own, especially once they got a little older and were school aged, I saw how much that meant to me as a parent. And it just really pushed me to want to do that for all of my parents too. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and so that's when I started really using, I always had homework books and things, but mm-hmm. the seesaw really was life changing for me because it gave me that window to be able to take video and like it was kind of like I'm not gonna lie I was a little self-conscious when I first started videoing myself working with a child and not thinking it's good enough but the parents they just want any input that they can right so like that was something easy I could do for parents
0: Mm-hmm. it's much better than just a written report where it's hard to decipher almost or interpret what exactly they have to do obviously you're yeah. going to be as clear as possible but seeing a video or visuals they're not just great for kids they're they're great for adults like us you know I mean? oh for sure yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of going back to the point it, having parents be actively engaged within the sessions is so important but I remember a parent telling me that they they use that time, just like how you said earlier in the podcast, how school is kind of like a break for parents. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they look at OT sessions, SLP sessions as a break as well. And obviously it's good for them, but you still want them to be engaged and still be there for their child instead of just being like, okay, whew, now I have some time to breathe almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a fine balance.
1: And-, and I totally understand that. And if a parent said yeah. that, like, I am so stressed. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I would just... I would just encourage the parent to be forthcoming like oh we've had such a week do you mind if I sit out this one I just need that break just tell me that because I can totally get that as a mom as and as a therapist if you need Mm -hmm. that break and that child's going to have a really great hour or half hour or whatever it is Mm -hmm. in time with me that's okay too.
0: I love that. I love the way you put that. Like you're a mom too. Obviously not all SLPs out there are parents. Maybe they will be, maybe they won't. And
1: you don't have to be a mom to be a good therapist at all, right? Of course not. Yes. Being um, compassionate and having empathy for parents is a big start.
0: Definitely. And I, I feel once you're able to break down that barrier and let them be comfortable, let, you know, really practicing what you preach and making that a safe space for them, they will be forthcoming. And that's just, letting the parents out there know that the speech language pathologists, the OTs, whoever you're working with, they are there for you. So the safer you yeah. feel with them, the safer they feel with you. And everybody's in the village is able to flourish. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, no, that makes sense. Huge tangent. I just wanted to talk about that because that was something a parent brought up and I, I found it really cool that you also brought it up right now.
1: I love that perspective though. Cause yeah, like that is something that like we're making these recommendations, but we need, we need to hear those things too. Right. So of course, right. Like if a parent mm-hmm. said that to me, I would totally be understanding, but you need to kind of be forthcoming too. That would be helpful. Right. Like if you're, if you've had a long week, if this is mm-hmm. your one hour in the day that you get the break, let me know. Okay.
0: <laughs> I'll tag you out for a bit. Give yeah. you a little break. Yeah. A
1: little I don't mind. I'm being paid to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, yes. So kind of going back to the tips, though, is there anything else you'd want parents to know uh, such that it could help you out or right. other SLPs they might be working with, you know?
1: Sure. Um, another thing I would say is Google with care. I'm not going to say don't Google because, like, that's... I don't think that's realistic in the world that we live in to not uh-uh. Google anything. <laughs> um, maybe do that initial assessment and find out some more information before you google or maybe you want to google milestones right like I have a lot of great handouts that I would give parents like do I need to worry like those kind of things that are mm-hmm. out there or there are some publications like I know that our health region puts out one like what are the milestones or what do I need to, do I need to worry I think that's even the title of it I'd have well to look I love that it. yeah right? Like, it's like, what's Mm -hmm. normal, what's not normal, those kind of things you can Google, right, to see if Mm -hmm. they're meeting their milestones. And if there are any red flags that you're seeing, then maybe that is a good, um, you know, way to segue into an initial assessment. Definitely. Um, Once you have a diagnosis, I would say Google with care. There is a lot of information out Mm -hmm. there, and not all of it is evidence-based or from a good source. Mm Um make sure that you're on websites that have reliable, solid information. So like I mentioned that I'm a member of the American Speech and Hearing Association. Mm-hmm. If you go on ASHA's website, there's lots of great information. There's a whole bunch of other ones that are great too. And I like listed a few of them. Um, if mm-hmm. you're going to put it in the um, blog post after, but I could definitely, we, we put like everything autism in the discussion. Canada Or Apraxia yeah. Kids or the Stuttering Foundation, depending on, what you're working on um yourkidstable.com is a great one for our feeding kiddos and you're kind of doing that hard lifting of finding good resources and writing good um articles that are directed for parents Mm -hmm. to get that little bit of information and other ideas if you don't have um you know regular contact like you mentioned like sometimes it can be a week or two in between Mm -hmm. and if you're looking for something, or you notice something at home, like I just say, Google with care.
0: Definitely, and I think that's so important because it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of researching. Yeah. You you come across a cool graphic on Pinterest, you click on it. It's like, oh, this is what I have to do with my kid. Not necessarily, yeah. you know. Research based articles are extremely, extremely useful. That's something the other OT said mm-hmm. in the last podcast. So, yeah. So props to you guys for always always ensuring that the information you put out not just in public on social media, but also to your parents when you're communicating to them is sound, is based within research, and is something yeah. which at the end of the day will benefit the child. That's, that's literally what this comes down to. Yeah. Um, so Google with care. Uh, are there any other tips? <laughs> this is really helpful, um, even for me, like moving forward in my life, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think we all need to be told to Google care these days.
0: Oh, definitely. Um, so much fake news. In the this. world
1: that we're in right now. Oh. This, um, this
0: podcast isn't fake news, by the way, guys. Just saying.
1: <laughs> we're real people. Yeah, we're real people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say be careful with social media, right? Just be careful with it. Like I know that sometimes emotions can run really high. Um, If there is a concern or you're upset or frustrated, it's so easy to write something and then post it. And Mm -hmm. it's really not private, right? Like even if you don't have anybody from the school, sometimes people will send that to us. Like you never know, right? So keeping things private. And if you have a problem to come to us, I know that I would appreciate it. The school would appreciate it. So that's something just to keep in mind that often these are going to be some longer term relationships that you have and to maintain that relationship is really important and lots of definitely. times once things settle down and you kind of calm down yourself you might not feel like that too so
0: no definitely yeah it, it's never make an emotion when you're never making emotion what the heck Mark? <laughs> never make yeah, never, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly don't don't make decisions when you're emotional uh, obviously I'm not saying people out there are emotional but I'm saying when emotions are high that's just a rule of thumb oh, yeah, no, I was just
1: talking to my brother-in-law this Morning, and he said he's like I wrote out a text, and he was stewing about something, and he's like I didn't send it; I just wrote it out. And then I thought I'll read that to my wife in the morning. And <laughs> yeah, by morning, he was like, "Yeah, I felt better, but I knew not to send it." Right?
0: Smart man. Smart yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's it's again, it's all about communication, you know. And yeah, I, I think if anybody was to, like, if any parent wants to pull something out from this podcast, it's the fact that SLPs are on your side; they're on your team. Oh, literally yeah. we so, are like,
1: we're team members we want I mean. to help your child um my last tip I guess is to have realistic expectations to like lots of times like parents they're in so much fear and they're so focused on mm-hmm. that diagnosis or that initial shock um yeah. they want it fixed right yeah. like I've even had be like how long till they're fixed how long is this going to take and like one of my profs used to say this all the time. You know, my crystal bra- ball, it's just not working right now because we don't know. We know your child's mm-hmm. going to grow. We know they're going to learn, but we don't know the rate of Definitely. success that we're going to have always, right? And I also mm-hmm. do not own a magic wand. I wish I did. I'd be yeah. out of business though. So, <laughs> <laughs> but good. all good things take time, right? So, yeah. Um, Let's set those goals with you. Let's try to set a short-term goal, a long-term goal, and know that with 20, 20 minutes a week, 60 minutes a week, whatever it is a week, that um, we need to work on that. And you know, slow and steady wins the race, hopefully, right?
0: Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's It's so important for it to be able to set those expectations because- yeah. Oftentimes I see parents trying to rush their children or rush OTs, especially mm-hmm. from past conversations I've had. Hey, when can my child like learn how to write a full-on sentence or an essay? Like, God forbid, I'm like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> but damn, that, that was really, really helpful. Thank you so much for this conversation. That, that pretty much wraps up today's podcast. Hopefully to everybody listening into this podcast, um, that gives you not only a good glimpse as to what the SLP life is all about, but more so what SLPs can do and like what type of team member are they? Uh, for your child how can they best support you within your son's journey if you liked what you hear on this podcast or you thought it was extremely informative be sure to give elisa sonnenberg some love on instagram by shooting her a follow at sunny day speech that's s-u-n-n-y-d-a-y-s-p-e-e-c-h she has a wealth of knowledge and tons of tons of content which will be sure to help you anybody of whom sees her content Uh, learn how to best support children in terms of reaching their developmental milestones with respect to speech and language development. Uh, You can check out her worksheets on her TPT store, which is super, super helpful. That's the reason why we reached out to her, because she just knows what she's doing. She has a wealth of knowledge, and she's super grounded in her practice, and she truly does care about children nationwide. So be sure to show her some love and shoot her a follow, yeah? You've just been tuned in to The Sensory Corner, a podcast surrounding all things sensory, parenting, and occupation-related. My name is Mark, I was your host for today, and this podcast is being brought to you by Senso Minds. Senso Minds is dedicated to designing and developing new sensory stimulating toys which will help your child integrate into the world around them. If you want to learn more about us, be sure to search us up on Google, Facebook, or Instagram simply by typing in Senso Minds. That's S-E-N-S-O-M-I-N-D-S. Also, if you want to stay tuned into the Sensory Corner, be sure to give us a little subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Those reviews really do help us reach out to a larger audience and really provide a platform to the voices of whom we bring on and to ensure that the information which we're sharing really does reach the audience of whom it needs to reach, which is you guys, sensory parents of whom are tuning in. Anyways, that's all for today. My name is Mark, and you've just been tuned into The Sensory Corner.